Hello, Internet. How are you? Welcome to the pilot episode of YEGMS. When I think of pilot episodes, I don't know if you've seen it, if you've ever hunted around online and watched the pilot episode of The Big Bang Theory. Uh, very different from what the show ended up being, and I imagine that uh, that will be the same with this podcast. If you haven't seen the, the pilot episode for The Big Bang Theory, I recommend checking it out. The biggest difference is Penny isn't Penny. Uh, it's a different actress. And I, every time I've watched it, I always think, can you imagine being the person that didn't get the part? You make it to the pilot episode, goes huge like that, and you get replaced. You know, uh, I think the same thing happened with, uh, with Star Trek, actually, the original one from the 60s. Uh, I believe in the, the pilot episode, it was a different captain. Anyways, I have no idea how that relates to MS and multiple sclerosis. It doesn't at all. But when I think of pilot episodes, I always think of that because, you know, what something ends up being and where it starts is often uh, very, very different. In future episodes of this podcast, there will be, I, I will be having interviews with other MSers. Because I had to start somewhere and I had to learn how to create a podcast, there isn't any in this one. Um, but I've actually already uh, taped one interview and, and, and scheduled a few more, so there will be some in the future. So welcome to M- uh, YEGMS. But I think I'm going to start by, rather than talking about multiple sclerosis, I'm going to talk about just some stuff I, I, I've, I've seen in the news the last few days. I was reading it on CBC yesterday that the NDP apparently is ahead in the polling numbers for the next federal election. Just by the article did state that they were just slightly ahead of the liberals and the conservatives, but that they were ahead. Now I don't know about you, but the election's quite a ways away, and doesn't it seem like it's a little soon uh, to be report, reporting on polling numbers? And and as as Albertans, uh, we know about the polling numbers. They don't always match up well with the actual election results. I mean, our last provincial election of just a few months ago can remind anybody of that I don't think there was any poll or any article I read going into that election that had the NDP winning in a landslide I always take that stuff with a grain of salt another interesting thing I, I heard in the news today I actually had to drive to Olds, Alberta and back today so I was listening to the radio most of the day and this is kind of a weird story kind of a wacky story the director of the 1920s silent film Nesferatu, which was a Dracula-inspired film, uh, you you may know the images of, of of that film. I mean, they 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 pop up in pop pop culture from time to time. But anyway, the director of that film he's a German director. He's actually a very celebrated German German director. His grave was actually robbed recently. And the grave robbers simply took his skull. Um, that's, you know, things that people do never never cease to amaze me, but that's kind of a weird one. Uh, the other thing I've been kind of following is, is all this uh, talk of the space, that spaceship going near Pluto. Uh, that's fascinating. So, I mean, they're talking about canyons several times larger than the Grand Canyon and and giant ice mountains. I can't even picture 
a giant mountain made of ice. Like, I mean, if you're driving through the Rockies, I was actually in the Rockies just recently, and if one of those mountains was completely ice, I mean, I can't even, I can't even fathom that. So, but anyway, this, uh, this podcast isn't about giant ice mountains, the Big Bang Theory, Canadian federal politics, or directors from, you know, horror film directors from the 1920s. This podcast is about MS and multiple sclerosis and, um, and how it affects us all in, in the community. So I think this is a good place to tell you who I am and how my journey with MS started. My name is Sean, and I was officially diagnosed with MS in 2007. The first time I had an attack was in October of 2004. I was walking into my apartment one evening, and my right leg was scraping on the carpet, and I uh, had no idea what was going on, but to be honest with you, I'd gone out with a buddy and had a couple of beers that night, and, uh, and I figured it was just the alcohol. However, it wasn't, and when I woke up the next morning, I was pretty scared, because when I went to get out of bed, I actually fell into the wall. Uh, luckily, I had a, a uh, roommate at the time, and I just started screaming for him, and I said, Dustin, Dustin, get in here. And he said, what? And I said, I, I can't stand up. And he said, well, what's going on? And I go, I, I just have no balance. So he helped me up to the car, he took me to the hospital, and long story short, that time, they told me I had some pretty extreme vertigo, but if this if it persisted, or if I had more you know flare-ups or whatever, that there was a potential that I had you know they would test me for MS, but uh, they wouldn't know until if unless I had some other problems. Well, two years goes by, and I was at work at a restaurant, and my entire right side went numb, and that was uh, Remembrance Day of 2011. The irony of having your big attack start on Remembrance Day uh, isn't lost on me. I, yeah, I remember it like it was yesterday. Anyway, I, uh, my parents didn't live that far from the restaurant that I was working at. I, I just called them. I didn't live with them, but I just called them and said, Hey, this is what's going on. Can you guys come and give me a hand take me to the doctor? And they asked me, Do you think you should go into the emergency room or, or by, and get an ambulance? And I said, well, no, I'm, you know, other than the fact that I can't feel anything on my right side, I mean, I seem okay, you know, but I found out later that I obviously wasn't. I, uh, so they came, picked me up, I went into emergency room, and uh, I knew after about 10 minutes after getting there that it was pretty serious, because generally speaking in Canada, uh, I don't know how, how it is everywhere else in the world, but generally speaking when you're in Canada and you go to an emergency room, if you aren't if you don't have a serious problem, uh, you go sit in the waiting room, and depending on how many people that are sitting in there who have, you know, cuts or scrapes or not serious breaks or whatever things that aren't serious that don't need immediate attention, you you usually end up waiting for an hour or two or maybe a half an hour depending on how busy they are. Uh, I sat at the admitting desk and I went right in, and the second they got me right in and got me right in into a bed. I knew uh, something pretty serious was going on, but of course I thought because it was a you know the right side went numb, I had visions of maybe I was having a stroke or a heart attack or you know who the hell knows right, and long again long story short from that appointment the the the, on, the doctor on duty had told me that um, 
you know, he didn't really know what it was, but uh, there was nothing he could do for me at that time, and that they needed to do some investi neurological investigation, and there was a chance, he asked me about MS history, and I had a, a maternal aunt with MS, and he said that they would have to investigate that. So that was November, fast forward to May of 2007, after going to the, the multiple sclerosis department at the University of Alberta several times for tests and MRIs, and yeah, in May 2007, I was officially diagnosed. So that's me. That's where that's where my story starts. That's that's how my journey with the with the disease started. So why am I doing this podcast? Well, the podcast, in in a lot of ways, is an extension of of some things I've already been doing. In uh, 2013, I started a website called ownmultiplesclerosis.com. That's O W N N is Norman Multiplesclerosis.com. Uh, and it's it's a blog, and it was more. My intention with that blog was never to be to have thousands of page views or lots of traffic. It was more of a way for me to work some things out and and share some information and hopefully meet some other MSers. And it's still going. I've been doing it now for over two years. And you know, I did a post just uh, just a couple of days ago. The tone of the blog has evolved over time, but I have met people in the MS community and that was really the, the, the intent behind it. And then in last year I had an idea. I do the MS bike tour from Leduc to Camrose every year. And and I was thinking of ways to raise money for my, my bike team. And I had the idea, well, you know, I've run a few half marathons. Maybe I'll run from Leduc to Camrose. Well actually the initial idea was to run from from to do the bike tour but run it. That was how it started, but when I looked in, and for people out there who don't understand how far Leduc, Alberta is from Camrose, Alberta, it's about 90 kilometers, give or take, depends on what route you go on, and so that qualifies as an ultramarathon. When I looked at the training for an ultramarathon, and the possibility of being able to do two ultramarathons back-to-back, -back, you know, run there on Saturday, run back on Sunday, was a little bit out of my... <laughs> A little bit out of my weight class, but so I shortened it to just run there, and we we got the route down to about 80 kilometers in there. So on May 23rd of 2015, I ran from Leduc to Camrose and raised about $23,000 to the MS Society of Canada. I didn't quite make it all the way. I had to I had to quit with about seven kilometers to go. Um, I got severely dehydrated. Uh, the weather was a lot hotter than what I had been training for. Uh, the temperature that day was 28 degrees. Not an excuse, I'm just being honest. I mean, the last seven kilometers, I wasn't able to do it. So my support team, and, and, that, and this is where, how this podcast becomes an extension of that. I had a support team of about 30 runners. Uh, two aunts, a cousin, and then an amazing group of people from... A lot of whom I've never even met, and uh, one one girl I met actually the day out, uh, she showed up to run, and I I only had an, a, an exchange with her on Twitter, the Thursday before. So anyway, we ended up with a, a support team of thirty runners, and they all didn't run the entire distance with me, but they would uh, run twenty, and then I pick up a few more, and then some would stop, and then I pick up a few more, and what happened that day, and especially as I started to dehydrate and I needed a lot of help and. A lot of coaching and a lot of team 
we developed this amazing community uh, on the side of an Alberta highway, which, I mean, honestly, that day, outside of the getting married and the birth of my children, was hands down one of probably the most singly impactful days of my life. And I've just wanted to, I wanted to find ways where I could continue that. And, you know, where the pond, and then how I got the idea for the podcast is as I was training to do that run, uh, I ran over 1,800 kilometers in training. And I was doing, you know, training runs of five and six hours. And when you run that long, you can only really listen to music for so, at least for me, I can only listen to music for so long where I just need something else. So I started listening to audiobooks and, you know, most of the audiobooks are, you know, 10 to $20 a piece. So I thought, well, this is getting pricey. Uh, and then I discovered odd podcasts. And, and then when I looked into, you know, how podcasts are created and really there's an extension of blogging. Uh, I mean, that was how they initially got their start and the technology is ready available. Like, I mean, for instance, I'm sitting here uh, with my iPhone in front of me and a mic microphone plugged into the uh, headphone jack. But how they're produced and, and how they're distributed are very similar, to, very similar to blogs. So I thought, well, I can do that. And I thought, well, what a great way uh, to keep building that community and keep extending that community. Because through the run and through the, the blog and I've met a lot of other MSers and, and I've had MSers tell me how the run really inspired them or they really, you know, focused in on something I wrote on the blog or whatever. And I just really wanted to uh, keep that going. So the plan for this podcast is that I'm going to do it twice a month and try and connect with local MSers where they can share their stories and we can talk about different topics in the MS community and, and talk to other people that are involved in the MS community potentially people from the MS Society, uh, friends, families, whoever, and also be able to provide information, you know, new things that come out. So, so that is what the purpose behind the podcast is. Some things you should know about me personally, I'm, I consider myself, and I don't know if this is a term or not, but maybe I'm coining it right now, I don't know, I, I would be what I consider to be an MS moderate, where I feel that... Um, you know, if anybody's, anybody who's had MS for any length of time uh, has probably gone online, snooped around, and there seems to be, in my view, two very distinct groups. There is the larger group of people who, you know, listen to their doctor, take the meds, and, you know, try and live as best they can with MS. Then there is the people like, for instance, Dr. Terry Walls, if you've heard of her, or Direct MS Charity out of uh, Calgary, which you can find at direct-ms.org, uh, or you can Google Dr. Terry Walls. Walls is spelled W-A-H-L-S, where they believe that a paleo-style diet can be used to not only to treat MS, but can be used so you don't even have to take the uh, medication pre prescribed by your neurologist and they actually advocate against taking those medications. For me, I'm right in the middle. I, I, I do follow a paleo style diet. I do cheat now and then. I mean, it's pretty tough to give a bread, cheese and all that stuff. But I also do follow the recommendations of my neurologist. To be honest with you, my neurologist has never given me any reason to believe he doesn't have my best interests at heart. So, 
Anyway, there's those two groups out there, and, I, I, and I'm right in the middle. And my personal view is I don't like extreme points of view. I find when people have extreme points of view, once they're really, really encamped or really, really entrenched in one side of an argument or another, they stop listening. They, they stop willing to listen and have their views challenged and learn. They've made the decision that this is it, this is all, and I don't care if you're talking about religion or politics, health or whatever. I think that's a very dangerous position to have, and I think it's a very limiting position to have. So I sit in the middle, but however, I'm hoping that in future episodes of this podcast, I will have people on from both sides and other people who maybe not don't even subscribe to either of those points of view. So I like having my idea challenges challenged. I like learning new things, and uh, for me, that's the whole point. So with my approach to MS, the way I approach it, and I, I approach it with humor, and I actually come by that very honestly. I, I, I learned that from my maternal grandfather. He uh, actually passed away almost two years ago. It might even be two years ago now. Actually, it was May 2013, so it was two years ago now. He passed away at... Uh, 94 years of age, and he was a big influence on me, and he just had a way of approaching a stressful situation with a grace and with a humor that was uh, really impactful to me and really taught me that, you know, even when the chips are down, you can really rise up and you can you know, you can be a light, and and that's what he was. And a story I can share with you, almost six years ago now, he was living in an assisted care facility. He had his own little apartment, but it was an assisted care facility in the west end of Edmonton. And one summer, all of his, all the daughters, except one, and, and his son, so my aunt Snuggles, including my, both my parents and their, and their spouses, went to Europe for a vacation. And since I live close to where Pepe was living, they, uh, my mom had asked me, well, Sean, can you look, look in on him daily while we're gone? And I said, sure, it's not a big deal. I'm not very far from there. So I'm, you know, when I would take my lunch at work, I would go to the pond near his house, which he, which he would walk to every day. It was just part of his routine. He would walk to the pond, feed the ducks, uh, and he actually donated a, a bench on that pond to my grandmother's memory. When she, you know, it was a pond that they used to walk to together. So it had a plaque on it and it says my grandmother's name. And and he would sit there for an hour or two, feed the ducks, and he was really militant about how clean the bench was. And my dad had modified his walker so it could hold brooms and bird seeds and dustpans and Lord knows what else. So that was part of his routine. But anyway, one day the home called me and they let me know that Pepe had, had to be taken to the hospital. He had fallen and he was in the hospital in St. Albert. So I went to the St. Albert Hospital and I stayed with him through his appointments. And as it turns out, after they did their tests and that, they found that he had a hernia. Now, if you're 30 years old, apparently a hernia is not that serious, or this type of hernia he had wasn't that ser serious. But when you're almost 90, which he was at the time, uh, it can be quite serious. So he had to stay overnight, 
which I knew he was not going to be pleased about. There was no way um, he was going to enjoy that. But anyway, he, he had to stay overnight, and I knew I had to be up bright and early to call the hospital because the second he was able to be released, I needed to be there to get him out. So I called the hospital at 7 a.m. the next morning, and I just told him I need to know two things. You know, what's, what's the diagnosis or what's the prognosis? And the second thing, when can I take him home? And they were really good about it, and they said, you know what? He's really, he, can, he can go home now. He's doing okay. You can, you can come get him. So I basically hung up the phone, drove to the hospital, went and picked him up. And the funny thing is, when I went into the room he was at, it's about 7.30 in the morning, he was lying in bed in his hospital robe. I could tell by looking at him he hadn't really slept. And one of the reasons why, he wasn't in, he wasn't in a private room, he was in a shared room. And the old guy that he was sharing the room with was completely out of it. I don't know if he had some sort of dementia or whatever, but he would just constantly moan and yell. And even when I was there with him, and I could just tell Pepe hadn't slept, and you know he had a bit of a grouchy look on his face. And but anyway, I walked in, and and he said, "Hello," and I said, "Grandpa, I'm here to to take you home." They said, "You can go home." He says, "I can go home." I said, "Grandpa, yeah." They've told me I can I can take you home. As fast as an 89-year-old man can shoot out of bed. He did it 10 times faster. I mean, he literally shot up and just stuck out his arm and said, hand me my pants. So I gave him his pants. We got him dressed. And of course, I had to put him in a wheelchair. He could still walk, but he has, you know, when you're leaving a, a, a hospital, you have to be in a wheelchair uh, with their policies and that. But anyway, so I'm wheeling him out, and we're going past the nurse's desk. And I won't lie to you, my grandfather, I've seen him with nurses a million times, and he's always been very flirty. And he had that mischievous grin and look in his face. And, and I could tell he had been flirting and joking around with the, the nurses by the looks on their faces. However, as we're walking past the nurse's desk, he raises his hand and starts waving. And he says, goodbye. Hope to never see you again. <laughs> the nurses kind of, you know, they were kind of stunned. Because, you know, what he said, the content of what he said. But after, you know, probably a second or two or a fraction of a second, they just started giggling. And Grandpa had a smile on his face. And, and you know, he was almost, you know, almost a century year old. Year old and, and, but that's just an example of where the humor comes from. There was always, with, with Pepe, there was always a joke. There was always a smile. There was always a mischievous grin. That's where it comes from. I have more examples, but that's just the one that sticks out in my head. And so when I, when I, so if anybody's listening to this and when I'm talking about MS and I'm joking around about it, I don't mean to be flippant or uh, take anything away from anybody or demean anybody or make anybody feel like I don't take it seriously. What that literally is, it's my own defense. It's my own defense mechanism. It's my way that I engage and how I deal with the disease. And so that's what that is. So if you're listening and you go, well, I didn't find that funny. Well, understand where it's coming from. 
I, uh, I joke about it. Uh, I joke about it with my own family. I joke about it with my own friends. Another example of which, uh, last winter, I was over at uh, a friend's house. Lives in the same neighborhood as I as I do. So, I walked over to his place to watch an Oilers game, and we're sitting up over the you know the, he's one of those front front garage houses where they have sort of a an extra family room above the garage, and we're sitting up there, and it's his wife, myself, and my other neighbor, and we're watching the game. And we're joking around, and we're joking around, and we're joking around about hockey and this and that. And then I can't remember exactly what I said, but I made a joke about MS. And specifically me and myself having MS. You could literally hear a pin drop in that room the second I made the joke. I thought it was, I thought it was hilarious. It made everybody else uncomfortable. So I just stopped everybody. I go, guys, like, what are you upset for? I'm the one, who, I'm the one with MS. If I want to make a joke about MS, I'm going to make a joke about MS. And then I'm like, and if you guys want to joke about it with me, you can. I mean, I know I have it. It's not going to change the fact that, you know, a joke's not going to change whether or not I have it. And, you know, I've always found that when you, I've always found that since I've had MS, it's always been that, you know, that 100-pound gorilla in the room where people are curious about it, but they don't want to talk about it, or they think, well, he doesn't seem that different. You know, he doesn't seem that different than a person without MS, but they don't know about the fatigue. They don't know about the numbness. They don't know about the depression. They don't know about the different things that MSers go through. And, and, and that's me as a really highly functional uh, person with relapsing, relapsing, remitting MS and not the people that have like progressive or secondary progressive MS where they either can't walk or they have to walk with a walker or they have, to, they have to be in a wheelchair. You know, these are the things that people don't see and don't understand. And I just find that for me, using humor gets rid of that gorilla. Like, we can talk about it. We can joke about it. I mean, it's, it's here. It's happening. I have it. I mean, it's not going to go away and it's not going to make it any better or worse if I tell a joke about it. So when you're listening to me, talk on this podcast or understand that the humor is my way of handling it, my way of dealing with it. Because if I, if I can't make a joke uh, about myself, uh, I'm going to be pretty miserable. Uh, that's just who I am. Having this disease for me isn't an end. You know, I, I don't look forward in my life and think, you know, ah, crap, I have MS. It's just the way I honestly look at it is every person on this face of this, the face of the earth has challenges they have to deal with. They have challenges in their own life. Some people are, are, uh, have a worse disease than MS. Some people, everybody has challenges. That's, that's the point I'm making. And my, one of my challenges in my life is MS. Uh, and it's not belittling it. It's just accepting it, accepting who I am, and moving forward. And part of that moving forward is being able to, to laugh at yourself. So... Um, important for me to, you know, thank Pepe for that because uh, he was a big part in me, my, in me learning that. So hats off to you, Pepe. So anyway, that's the end of this first segment of the initial podcast. There's going to be one, one or two more segments in this episode. So the next segment is going to be me, some audio I recorded while I was waiting for a plane at the Kamloops Airport. I'm currently standing in front of the uh, Kamloops Airport. 
was out here for a quick business trip. It's pretty nice. I actually got a chance to visit with two of the support runners from the really long run to NMS from about a month ago. Two of my high school friends came out from Kamloops to join in the run and to support me. And it was really nice to be able to get a chance to sit down with them for a couple hours last night, kind of talk about our shared experience, and that was good. And now I've got two hours to kill waiting for a flight. So I thought, what the heck, I'll uh, record some audio and, for this podcast and see how it turns out. Chances are all this is going to get sent to the uh, cutting room floor, but it is what it is. So the MS Bike Tour went last weekend, and I rode it with my family, my mom and dad, uh, my wife, my sister, and, well, there was 18 members of my bike team in total. And for the first time ever, there was a member on the team Another member on the team that uh, had MS as well. Dave, if you're listening to this, that was awesome getting a chance to ride with you. And it was a really good experience for me. Really empowering to see you cross the finish line and meet up with your family. It was was a pretty cool moment. So one of the cool things for me about the bike tour is that um, you get such a sense of community and a sense of hopefulness with... uh, all kinds of other MSers and people out there supporting the cause and their friends and their families who have MS and the MS Society. and It's a wonderful sense of community. And it was interesting last night when I was talking to Tanny and Mandy, the two other support runners, the two support runners from Canada who had come out for the run. The feedback they gave is they found it to be a really powerful experience because there they are, not from Alberta, <laughs> not expecting it to be as flat as it was, and not really used to rural Alberta. And there they are along the side of a highway, meeting people for the very first time. And they said over the couple hours, you know, the three or four hours they were out on the highway running, how what an incredible sense of community uh, it became. And that, uh, you know, by the end of the run, it really did feel like we'd built this uh, amazing group of people who were all supporting each other. And the incredible part is most of them didn't know each other. Uh, at the start of the day, so um, that's why I want to. That's why I'm going to do the run again. Just the feeling that we got that day was pretty spectacular. Uh, my mom and I were talking about it the other night, and I said that I may limit the amount of support runners next year. And she stopped me. And she said, "No, you can't. Why do you want to do that, Sean?" And I said, "Well, mom, you know, near the end of the run there, the trained runners." We're getting really far ahead of the not trained runners and it kind of came a, a bit of a safety issue on the highway and she said you know we can figure that out that part of it out but you don't want to lose that because that's what created all these people from all these different walks of life coming together uh, that's what helped to create such that wonderful sense of community and support and then I thought about it and, you know I thought damn she's right so if you're listening to this and you think you might want to run 5k next year or 10 or 20 or whatever please get a hold of me it's a pretty incredible day it's a pretty incredible experience and if you're an MSer, i think it's a pretty empowering experience because you can prove it to yourself that you can do damn near anything you want i'm currently standing out in the parking lot of the Kamloops airport and i'm trying to avoid walking near people so they don't think i'm talking to myself but it doesn't matter how far I walk away on this damn <laughs> People seem to want to walk towards me, and I don't, I'm not quite understanding it. But I'm waiting for my buddy Kurt to come down. 
I explained to him that I had a bit of a two-hour wait here, and I knew he was home, so I just sent him a text and said, hey, if you got nothing to do, if you're bored out of your mind, I'm at the airport, and luck would have it, he's bored out of his mind, so he's coming down here, so that's pretty nice. This guy with his camera keeps walking right towards me, and I don't know why. He's driving me nuts. He's still walking towards me, and I don't know why. While I was at the bike tour, uh, I had a pretty cool experience when uh, Patricia had all the MSers come up on stage who had uh, ridden a gentleman by the name of Neil approached me, told me he was a pretty big fan of the, of the uh, really long run. I told him, hey, well, add me on Facebook, come for next year. <laughs> it's kind of funny because he had already added me on Facebook and I had forgotten, which isn't a big surprise. So anyway, the next week we get to talking and, and texting and that, and he explains to me this idea that he has. And I thought it was an absolutely phenomenal idea, because what he wants to do is start a mentoring program for new MSers, because I remember, and I'm probably no different than a lot of you that are listening to this, if anyone is actually listening to this, when I first got diagnosed, I, I didn't know what the hell to do. I, I really didn't. I was pretty lost. I just remember going to the MS de department at the uh, U of A, walking into the doctor's office, him throwing my MRI up on this, that light thing that shines through it, saying to me, Sean, you've got MRI confirmed, multiple sclerosis. I mean, I'm probably remembering this wrong because of the impact of the... Of the, of the moment, but, you know, it kind of felt like he told me. I got whisked into this room with a nurse, and she gave me information on Rebif, and basically said, these are the drugs you take, That's the, here's your, well, you know, you'll get a prescription, you're going to want to talk to Blue Cross about getting it covered, because it's, you know, $1,500 a month or whatever it was. Then I just remember driving home, and... You know, that was in May of 2007. Well, yeah, May of 2007. And I remember driving home and being really angry, really pissed off. Uh, and I don't even know what the anger was directed at. I was just angry in general. And then I did what most people did do, which is probably the worst thing you can do. I sat down, got up my computer, and started a search engine. Started up with a search engine because I figured, you know, I don't know if I was thinking maybe I could find a miracle cure out there or what the hell I was thinking, but uh, I remember that first that first year was really rough, and I uh, I could have used a mentor. I mean, I could have used somebody that had been through it. I could have used somebody to talk to, somebody who had taken the meds, somebody who had, you know, already looked at some of the crackpot theories that are out there, you know, somebody who had just tried and... and you know, had been doing well and could have at least pointed me in the right direction and, and probably made me feel a little bit better about it. When Neil was texting me about his idea, it, it kind of brought back a really recent memory from about two months ago. Um, Dave, who I've mentioned on my blog and I mentioned earlier, who had just ridden with me in the bike tour, uh, he was diagnosed about two years ago. And I met him for the first time in person. We'd met online and texted and on the phone on that, but we'd never actually met live. So about two, two months ago or so, there was a, uh, a pub night at the 
Central Social Hall, downtown Edmonton, for the bike tour. And, you know, I met Dave there, and we ended up sitting with uh, Patricia, who is the spokesperson for the bike tour, and a few other MSers, and we started sharing stories. And to be honest with you, that was probably the first time I'd ever sat down with a group of MSers, and, and it was kind of, uh, there was a certain level of catharsis, maybe, is that the right word? Anyway, well, at the end of the day, it may feel a lot better, because what it was is we were talking about our symptoms and our challenges and things we go through and, you know, fatigue and the numbness and, you know, everybody at the table had lost sight in one of their eyes and, you know, because it's apparently very common. But we weren't talking about it in a sad or solemn kind of way. It was, you know, like two hockey players talking about what kind of stick they use or how they lace their skates or what kind of how they tape their stick. And it was really, it was a really, it was a really good experience. And I found that over the last uh, four or five months, as focus on the uh, on the run grew, it uh, uh, and I met other MSers and they shared their stories, and it was really, really helpful to me. So Neil's idea of doing a uh, a mentorship program, I think it's a hell of a great idea. And it's one I'm going to try to help him get off the ground because I think I'd not only I'd love to be a part of it, and I think it would really help people who are feeling like I did, you know, just that lost feeling where you you're told you have this thing, and and you know I think that's the one of the toughest things about MS is that they give you the diagnosis, but nobody can tell you <laughs> has any idea what your you know, what your adventure is going to be like with the disease. Nobody can tell you. They say to you, well, you may have been in, my, in a wheelchair, you might not. This might happen again, you might not. You may relapse, you might not. You may go from relapsing, remitting to progressive, you may not. But absolutely no one can tell you. And I know for me, that was always the one of the real frustrating things, is that nobody can tell you. And it's one of those things that, you know, can stop you from going to sleep at night sometimes. And I think Neil's idea for mentorship program is bang on. So if you're listening to this and you're at all interested in maybe supporting it or being part of it, send me a message, tweet at me, whatever, and uh, and uh, we'll get in touch. Well, my, <clears throat> my buddy Kurt's arrived. He's just parking his truck now. So I'm going to cut the Kamloops portion of this uh, audio for the podcast off and Actually, one more thing from Cal's. I have to admit, these people that I'm park- out in the parking lot that have been watching me, they're probably thinking, what is this guy doing walking around? I have my headphones on, and it looks like, probably really looks like I'm talking to myself, but I should maybe take a selfie with the thing, you know, just to remember this moment that I'm the crazy lunatic walking around the parking lot talking to myself. Anyway. Well, we're coming to the end of the pilot episode of YEGMS. I would like to thank you for listening, if you, you know, if you if you did so. One thing I forgot to mention in the so far in the podcast is why I decided to call it Y-E-G-M-S. It, it's pretty simple. The Y-E-G is the airport code for the Edmonton, Edmonton International Airport. Uh, this is an Edmonton Capital Region, Northern Alberta-based podcast. 
hopefully it's you know it speaks to MSers everywhere, but that's where it's based, so that's why I called it that. I mean, and we I could have called it something more flashy, but the reality is, MS isn't flashy, and you know it's kind of hard to make up a flowery or flashy or better title when it just needed to be what it is. So it is what it is. That's what I decided to call it. And I hope it works. Um, other things I should mention, you can get a hold of me. If you want to be a guest on this podcast, if you'd like to, if you're an MS or you, you have a relationship MS or you have a story you want to tell, you can reach out to me anytime at Sean, S-E-A-N, at own, that's O-W-N, multiplesclerosis.com, all one word. You can pop me an email. You can also find me on Twitter at, and my Twitter handle is at ownms.com1. So those are the ways you can, those are my coordinates. You can find me on my website, you can find me on my Twitter, and you can send me an email. Uh, More than happy to interact with you talking to you and like I said if you would like to be a guest and like to share your story I'd be more than happy to hear from you so for the next episode of YEGMS it will feature a actual another live MS or telling their story um, as of recording this I have interviews scheduled with about five different MSers so far uh, I hope to add more to the list and the way the format will go from go will be going forward as I will do a little preamble at the beginning of the podcast, and then I'll jump right into uh, an interview with an MSer. Hope to hear from you, and uh, thanks for listening.